My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode, drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, this is Dr. Joshua Knapp, and welcome to another episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this ninth episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think many Christians and non-Christians alike struggle with, which has profound implications for spiritual and mental health, including how we relate to ourselves, others, and God. The topic is perfectionism. Given we live in a 21st century society that often demands that we're perfect, that demands we have no blemishes, no imperfections, that we're flawless, and may quickly cancel those who fall short of the established standards of the day, how can we confidently press on while knowing we will inevitably come up short and do so fairly regularly as 21st century Christ followers? How can we rely on God's grace and mercy, not our own unilateral efforts to somehow prove our worth on this side of heaven through perfectionistic, legalistic tendencies? How might perfectionism lead to spiritual, psychological, and relational exhaustion? If we don't rely on perfectionism, what shall we lean on in its place? If perfectionism is so exhausting in the Christian life, and we've been given God's perfect grace for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and choose to walk with him, why do we so quickly relapse into perfectionism and a more legalistic understanding of the Christian faith? Overall, what is the antidote to perfectionism? Especially if we are going to emulate Christ, love like he loves, see ourselves and others the way he sees us, and follow him where he would have us go. So a few opening quotes to get us started here. According to Martin Luther, quote, The law humbles, grace exalts. The law works fear and wrath. Grace works hope and mercy. According to Paul writing in Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, quote, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. To offer one more quote, the writer of Hebrews says, quote unquote, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So in the Christian life, there's something about God's mercy, God's grace that can see us through, especially when we relapse into perfectionistic, legalistic tendencies and try to earn our value in our relationship with God and others. So as we get started here, I want to offer a few personal thoughts, a personal story as well. So for many of us who have jobs that involve interacting with the public or publishing content that's available online, being evaluated with four or five star ratings, four or five point Likert scales and so forth is a reality we have to learn to accept. Yet for me, it can be difficult to see a lower rating on an evaluation. Even if the majority of ratings are positive. In fact, growing up, I believe I learned to be a perfectionist in an effort to try to prove to others I had value, especially when it came to academics and sports. In school, I could remember always striving to get good grades, struggling to accept a lower-than-expected grade when I sometimes came up short. On one particular occasion in the fifth grade, I could remember being selected to be in the school spelling bee, quickly imagining how good I'd feel if I won. So to win for me would mean I'd be seen as smart and competent in front of both a crowd of peers and my parents. Yet tragically, I ended up dismissed early on in the competition, misspelling the word balance by including two L's, given I was thinking of the word balloon in my mind. So to this day, as as you can tell, as revealed in this story I'm sharing right now, I can still remember this event, among many others, given I set a very high expectation for myself and had the expectation that achieving such a high standard would prove my worth. And feeling a sense of sadness, loss, and really, if I think about it, shame, and inevitably coming up short. There was this high expectation, and I attempted to perform, or maybe even overperform, and coming up short led to some painful feelings. So this same experience uh, emerged when, when I played Little League Baseball. I could remember making errors in front of a crowd, 
of parents and peers and being hard on myself, wanting to be perfect in the plays, wanting to be perfect in my batting, wanting to be perfect before my peers, before the small crowd, the small number of people watching in the bleachers. So in both situations, with academics and sports, I could probably think of many other areas of life, I strive to do my best, but sometimes to the point that I did not enjoy the activity, I was not fully present or immersed in the activity because I set such a high standard for myself. And was extremely hard on myself when I came up short. So whether getting one lower grade on a report card or striking out in baseball, my mind has often focused on what's gone wrong rather than what has gone right. For some of us, this may be based on early life experiences that involved interacting with parents who were at least somewhat rigid, who had high expectations for their children and attached worth to such expectations, or early experiences of trauma, which involved maybe children perceiving caregivers to be withholding of love and care, which meant children needed to earn their value in order to gain and preserve it. So over time, this may develop into an approach to life of trying to earn affection, try to earn a sense of self-worth, and so forth from others, rather than, by default, believing others will naturally love us or stick around. In Christian homes, this may take the form of legalism, and an over-reliance on moral standards at the expense of God's grace. With children growing up to place extremely high standards on themselves, shaming themselves and believing God and others will only love them if they succeed in every situation, if they are perfect in every situation, if they are flawless in every situation, as if this is the antidote to the human condition as if we can ultimately save ourselves from ourselves. Essentially, messages of perfectionism from parents, caregivers, maybe mentors or coaches or teachers, our surrounding society may be internalized earlier in life, leading to the tendency to be perfectionistic and self-critical toward ourselves later in life in adulthood. So to summarize here, perfectionism may be a way to try to control and prevent ourselves from experiencing added shame, neglect, and so on and so forth. Yet in the long run, it does not work, given we will inevitably come up short. It's not a long-term solution to deal with living in an imperfect world with imperfect people. 
So if this is the case, what is the alternative to these unrealistic expectations we place on ourselves in an effort to manufacture or earn love and affection from others, to on our own try to earn our worth, to on our own try to earn our value, as if it's possible to do so. So what is perfectionism according to secular psychology? Well, one author describes it as, quote, maladaptive evaluative concerns. So it's not adaptive, it's maladaptive. It makes things worse. And it's done in the context of evaluating really a perceived gap between our standards and our actual behaviors. So what are some of the characteristics? Well, we establish extremely high standards and inevitably we will come up short and so we in turn are preoccupied with, dissatisfied with, and disappointed in ourselves when we don't meet these standards. We often can be self-critical, judging ourselves when these personal standards are not met. Inevitably not met, I should say, given that it's not possible to be perfect. And yet, in our minds, we think that being perfect will earn us things. Being perfect will be some sort of insurance policy that ensures that we will not be ostracized, we will not be canceled, we will not be shamed, we will not be critiqued in such a way that brings with it all of maybe the, the pain that began to be experienced early in life based on this gap between how things are, how they need to be, performance-wise, standards-wise, and this expectation that being perfect will earn us things. Being perfect will earn us the affection, the love that we crave, that we long for. Performance is prioritized. Another characteristic is doubting the adequacy and success of our performances, whether in tasks or activities that we try, we come up short, and then there is doubt that creeps in. One last characteristic to consider, we may strive to be extremely neat, tidy, organized in our environment. So being perfectionistic about what the house looks like or our job-related tasks really is a way deep down to feel valuable, to try to earn our worth, to meet a standard we've established for ourselves for that purpose. When it comes to the relationship between perfectionism and psychological functioning and mental health, perfectionism is linked to depression and anxiety and social phobia, obsessive compulsive disorder. So we see that perfectionism really can be correlated with a wide variety of other struggles, which is why it's relevant for the Christian life for the 21st century Christ follower.
We will inevitably face suffering, but we don't want to throw gasoline on the proverbial fire. We don't want to make things worse by being overly perfectionistic. And it can be even challenging to acknowledge and deal with perfectionism because there's a standard even there that I've come up short with being perfect. Not just the task or activity, but perfectionism itself I can't attain. And so we might even have shame attached to our need to address our perfectionism. Yet, we'll talk about this in a minute, the solution to perfectionism is not to double down on the approach. It's to learn to rest in God's grace, God's undeserved favor, which is so difficult for us as humans to comprehend and understand and accept, as well as God's mercy. So grace being God giving us something that's not due, and mercy being God really holding back from something that is due, which is that as fallen human beings, from the perspective of sin and God being a holy God, God can't tolerate sin. And yet we have a redeemer, a reconciler through Jesus Christ. And as a result, we don't need to earn our place before God. So returning to the secular psychology literature, how might perfectionism develop earlier on in life? Well, childhood and adolescence are important periods of time when it comes to the vulnerability to and development of perfectionism later in adulthood. So patterns develop earlier. And there's some evidence to suggest that perfectionistic parents can contribute to children developing perfectionism. So it might be through modeling this that as we observe perfectionistic parents, we then end up becoming perfectionistic perfectionistic ourselves. It may be that when children convey messages that children and adolescents should perform at a high level, but Not just this, but also withhold love and affection when they don't. We might, as children and adolescents, end up internalizing these messages over time and applying them to ourselves later in life. The idea here would be that it's so important for us as human beings to be loved, to be esteemed, to be valued, to be respected and cherished and connected that we may learn early on in life that the way to achieve these things, to get these needs met is through earning it, through being perfect. So what might be a intervention in the secular psychology literature for perfectionism? Well, oftentimes, like has been mentioned in previous podcasts, mindfulness meditation is often a go-to because it emphasizes non-judgmental awareness and attention within the present moment without striving to change it in any way. One particular type of therapy, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, talks about two different modes of the mind, the being mode and the doing mode. 
And I think there's relevance here for us as Christians in that we also can turn to these modes of mind depending on our experiences and interactions throughout the day. So in the doing mode, we're trying to identify discrepancies between how things are and how they should be. So we're looking for perceived gaps. Some have called it the problem-solving mode of the mind. And this mode of the mind is needed in our life. It can be needed in family life or work life or church life. But when it comes to perfectionism, we're always looking for that gap. There's always a gap between our established expectations for ourselves and where we actually come up short. Then there is the being mode. The being mode is really what we're trying to cultivate with mindfulness meditation. And the being mode really is about anchoring ourselves to the present moment without trying to change things in any way. There's nowhere else to be, nothing else to do, nothing else to accomplish. And in our relationship to ourselves, there's nothing else we need to change or attain or be. So the present moment is accepted in its fullness without the desire to change. And so research has supported the notion that the regular practice of mindfulness can help to reduce perfectionism. And this makes sense if acceptance and non-judgment, even maybe loving compassion or loving acceptance towards ourselves, is what we're cultivating. This can be an antidote to perfectionism in that we're accepting, not trying to change. We're in the being mode, not the doing mode. For Christians, though, I think we can address perfectionism with a more transcendent perspective. That the problem is our own unilateral efforts. The problem is trying to go it alone. The problem is trying to earn our value outside of a relationship with God and relying on God's grace, mercy, love, and so forth. So from a biblical perspective, we were created in God's image to be in relationship with him, to commune with him and trust in his infinite goodness, wisdom, power, and presence from moment to moment, from step to step, from day to day, year to year, and so forth. But because of the fall, we turned away from God. We tried to be like him in our knowledge of good and evil, which I think includes our own unilateral attempts to make sense of who we are, who we need to be, and moral standards. So we oftentimes go it alone in trying to make sense of morality, trying to make sense of the, the standards we've established for ourselves. And since the fall, we as human beings now regularly establish our own standards, our own expectations apart from him. Struggling to realize we are now friends with God because of our union with Christ. And our ability to commune with God and to rest in his love, which is always extended to us, is not based on our own efforts to earn God's love, God's affection, God's attention, as if we have some sort of neglectful parent who requires that we perform tasks perfectly 
in, in order to receive this parent's care. So grace and mercy are extremely difficult for us to understand as human beings, given that in be, in, human beings are imperfect. And we often don't show grace and mercy to one another. And we often do require that other people earn our affection. This might be communicated in straightforward ways or subtle ways. But if we think about a definition of perfectionism, I think we can turn to legalism as a way to really capture what's going on here. That we are trying to earn our salvation by perfectly following God's law, as if that's possible, as if it's a goal to be successfully attained. So this legalism may come from our interaction with society based on society's expectations that have been established, or it might be based on our own personal standards we've established for ourselves. Often, maybe communicated to us by parents or caregivers or coaches or mentors or teachers, people in authority. But we can have this mixture of societal and personal standards that are extremely high, that are unattainable. And so we rely heavily on legalism, which involves, quote-unquote, seeking to attain, gain, or maintain acceptance with God or achieve spiritual growth through keeping a written or unwritten code or standard of performance. So legalism is applied in the Christian life in the context of our relationship with God and is really about trying to attain, gain, or maintain acceptance with God outside of the reality of God's grace. So Legalism is, unfortunately, antithetical to grace. It's not consistent with the grace that's been extended to us freely from God. So God bestows his love as unearned. It's an unearned favor, a position before God, not something we can accomplish. Like adults who maybe strive to earn their critical and withholding parents' affection by functioning optimally at all times hyper-competent, hyper-performers, uh, if you will. More formally, grace, in contrast with legalism, is defined as, quote, undeserved blessing freely bestowed on humans by God. It's a concept that is at the heart not only of Christian theology, but also of genuinely Christian experience. Grace is at the center it's undeserved, it's a blessing from God, it's freely given, it is not earned. And we have a hard time as Christ followers comprehending this. The idea that there's nothing we can do apart from yielding to, entering into a personal relationship with Christ as the reconciler. Our union with Christ allows us to commune with God and we do not need to be perfect. We do not need to attain perfection. 
So ultimately, without an awareness of God's grace, legalism and perfectionism may quickly creep in. And as Christians, we may apply what we've learned in our relationship with caregivers earlier on in life, over time, a pattern develops about earning favor from others, earning favor from God. So it's exhausting that we learn early in life not only through watching other people be perfectionistic, but also having the love and care we need attached to being perfect, we then in turn really begin to develop this way of earning other people's affection and love, and then we apply this to God. And this leads to all kinds of problems with spiritual and mental health, given that it's not possible to be perfect, This gap between how things are and how they should be leads to discontentment, leads to misery, leads to shame, leads to possibly even depression and anxiety and stress. We're constantly coming up short. We're demoralized. We're defeated. Again, simply put, it's exhausting. As we turn to scripture, I think we have the antidote to perfectionism, to legalism, to earning or at least attempting to earn God's favor through our own efforts and behaviors. In Ephesians, the the Apostle Paul famously, famously proclaimed, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, mercy being sometimes about God withholding punishment that's due, but also about extending his loving kindness and So God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by unearned favor. Nothing we could do, especially given we were, quote-unquote, dead in transgressions. This is so difficult for us to understand, and yet this is where peace comes from. A resting in the fact from a Christian perspective that there's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. Reminiscent of the child who desperately tries to get mom or dad's attention by being perfect, by getting straight A's, by being the star athlete, by being the star performer in the band. We learn over time in a fallen, broken, imperfect world that the way we get our needs met is through being perfect. And this is not the way to commune with God, the way to rest in God's love in the Christian life. Instead, it's through our union with Christ, and it's because of Christ's work that we have been saved, that we can walk with God and be loved by God and be cherished by God. So, in fact, As mentioned previously, there are an overabundance of passages in Scripture on grace, as opposed to relying on legalism, the law, and perfectionism. With the latter leaving us exhausted and demoralized and struggling with all sorts of psychological suffering. So to be clear, we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't earn our way into a loving relationship with God or into the loving arms of the Father. But because of our union with Christ, we're now friends with God, not enemies. 
and we can walk with God on the roads of life, we have no need to fear that somehow God's love needs to be earned, and if it's not, it will be withheld, like a unstable, psychologically struggling parent. And we can then in turn, with confidence, carry out the two greatest commandments, loving God and others, because we are confident in our relationship with God and we don't need to be perfect. We can imperfectly strive to be Christ-like. So in other words, we are a dwelling place now for the fruit of the Spirit, which means God is working through us. We don't need to rely on our own unilateral efforts, which are flawed and tarnished because of human sin. So turning now to classic Christian spiritual writings to help make sense of the problem of perfectionism and legalism and the antidote being relying on God's grace. In the 1400s, a medieval writer, Thomas Kempis, wrote The Imitation of Christ, a best-selling work going all the way back centuries. In this famous work, he provided detailed instructions on the Christian life, especially focusing on the inner world. In one particular chapter entitled On the Value of Divine Grace, he offers a fitting prayer that I think captures the importance of relying on God's grace from moment to moment. So Kempis prayed, quote, I plead with you, O Lord. May I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs, for only your grace is sufficient for me. When I am tempted and tormented by many troubles and trials, I will fear no evil as long as your grace remains in me. Your grace is alone my strength. It brings me counsel and help. It is more powerful than all my enemies and wiser than all the wise ones in the world. Grace is the mistress of truth, the teacher of discipline, the light of the heart, the comfort in anxiety, the reliever of sorrow, the deliverer from fear, the nurse of devotion, and the source of tears of joy. I am just a withered tree without it, a dried out branch to be cast away. Let your grace then always protect and be with me. In the Christian life, how often do we feel like a withered tree because of our need for perfection? Coming up short, falling short over and over again because we simply can't attain it on our own. There's nothing we can do to be perfect. There will always be a gap. And in this gap is added suffering. In this gap is misery. And God is offering us his grace for our experience of being the dried out branch and the withered tree. We need to abide in God. We are the branches. God is the vine. And he is our source that is unearned. So as we begin to wrap up here, I'd like to engage in a 10-minute practice that draws upon this famous writing from Kempis. We're setting aside 10 minutes to spend time with God, 
practicing shifting from relying on our own perfectionistic, legalistic standards and efforts to utterly and totally relying on God's grace to press on with strength and confidence, knowing we'll come up short, but that we have a friend through our union with Christ. So find a quiet location, closing your eyes and sitting up straight in a supportive chair. And when you're ready, begin the practice, resting your hands in your lap with your palms up to symbolize your receptivity toward God's perfect grace, which is unearned and freely flowing right now. As the first step, recognize all of the ways that you're striving on your own to attain perfection, whether in work life, family life, church life, or any other area of daily living. Just notice the standards you've established, which are likely unrealistic, unattainable, and divorced from God's perfect grace. Again, in this moment, just noticed, notice the standards you've established that are perfectionistic, legalistic, and unattainable. As the second step, gently shift from your perfectionistic, legalistic, unattainable tendencies to an awareness of God's active, loving presence. In this very moment, God is offering you undeserved favor based on no effort of your own. Rather, right here, right now, God is offering you merit and favor and esteem and value freely given Just rest in this awareness that God's grace is being extended by him personally to you right now. And there's nothing you need to do to earn it.
as the third step right here and now accept God's gift of grace by slowly softly and gently repeating the phrase from Kempis quote O Lord may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs O Lord may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. O oh Lord, may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. Again and again, slowly, softly, gently repeating, O oh Lord, may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. And whenever you notice a perfectionistic tendency, thought emerge, just notice it without doing anything with it, without shaming it, and simply pivot toward God's grace. Accepting the worth he is bestowing upon you right now as you return to the phrase. O oh Lord, may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. Over and over again. O oh Lord, may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. Recite this phrase in response to your perfectionistic strivings, which will never ultimately give you the love and affection you need, which comes from God and is unearned. O oh Lord, may I find grace in your sight when I have earthly needs. Now, as the fourth and final step, begin to imagine acting in life based on pursuing God's will, built upon your union with Christ and love at the center, not perfectionistic strivings. Envision walking with Jesus as you attempt to be more like him, letting go of the tendency to pursue your own standards, to judge yourself, to shame yourself, to critique yourself, and instead rest in your relationship with Christ. Right here, right now, in simplicity, let go of your legalistic tendencies given you have a relationship with God to rely on as you fellowship with Him, as you walk with Him, talk with Him, 
and ultimately receive his perfect love, which is sufficient, which is enough, even in the midst of your weakness, even in the midst of your struggles and the coming up short experience that you may have on a daily basis. God's grace is sufficient. Just rest in that. And as this practice comes to a close, say a brief prayer to God, asking him to remind you of his grace and help you to rest in his grace throughout the day, especially when you notice you've come up short and have applied your own standards that are not from him. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes again and reorient yourself to your surroundings. And as this episode comes to close, a close, just wanted to reiterate that for many of us, perfectionism, perfectionism was learned early on in life, whether it was observed by others or from others, from society, from media, from people on television. And we may have learned early on that to be loved, we need to perform. We're an actor on stage craving the applause of the audience. To get their applause, we need to perform well, we need to entertain, and yet this is not consistent with the plan in scripture, which is that God pursues us like the lost sheep, the lost coin. God has open arms for us when we return from our wayward ways like the lost son, and God reconciles us to him and his love through our union with Christ. Grace is unearned, and we can bask in it throughout our day. I hope you found this episode helpful and that you will tune in to the next episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.